I, I couldn't understand it at first and I, I was skeptical about it and I was even, I would say, frustrated by it at sometimes where I would be like, what are you so excited about? Like, this is just the way that it is. You clearly like haven't read your Bible enough to realize that the Christian life is a kind of a drag. Like it's tough, it's difficult. Welcome to this week's episode of the His Hill Podcast. My name is Kelly Darty, and I'm your host. Today I have with me the principal of Timberline. Timberline is the Torchbearer Center, or one of the Torchbearer Centers in the Colorado Rockies. Uh, Sam has been there for eight years on staff. He was a student before that. I think I actually taught him. You did? Yeah, okay, he's saying yes, I did. And, uh, and, and the reason I say that, I think, is only because, it's not because Sam is not memorable, it's just that there's so many students every year, but... Uh, but he says I did. So that's what year were you a student there? 2012. Okay. Yeah, I would have. Um, so, Sam, thanks for being here. Yeah, it's really awesome to be here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you giving us the time. Uh, Sam is our guest lecturer this week. And, uh, and for those of you who are, have never been to His Hill or a Torchbearer Center and you hear me talk about guest speakers and guest lecturers, maybe you don't know what I'm saying. Uh, but they actually come in for the whole week and they lecture. So Sam is teaching our first year students 12 hours. And what book are you teaching? Jeremiah. Jeremiah. And then he'll be with our second year students four hours. And what are you teaching with them? Second Timothy. Okay, great. Yeah, good. Uh, variety it is yeah so if you know if any of you are ever interested uh i think all the torchbearer centers really i know the ones in, in here in america that we we welcome guests to come in and sit in on classes so if you ever are interested in doing that uh, you can get a you can get a study from a, a whole book and in, in one week now it'll be it's going to be an overview because it's only 12 hours to cover some of these larger books but you're more than welcome to come in and, and, and sit in on that so sam uh you're you were a student there and you now you're on staff now and you're the principal there um t tell me uh, that's all i know about you mm -hmm. you know and we visit you know a yeah. couple, couple times a year once when i'm up in timberline and then once when you're down here and yeah uh but i don't really know a whole lot about you so I, i'm i'm looking forward to this this interview so I, mm -hmm. I, I can know you better so tell us tell me where did you grow up what what's your story yeah so i grew up uh most of my childhood in the charlotte area north carolina um, but my family lived in a few different places before that. I was born in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, my parents both went to college in North Carolina. That's where they met. Uh, we ended up in Illinois a few years after I was born, which is where my mom's family is from. And then my dad felt called to ministry. Mm. And we moved uh, from Illinois to Frisco, Texas oh, really? when I was six years old. And my dad went to Dallas Seminary. Um, we moved from Frisco when I was around nine years old to uh, Huntersville, North Carolina, which is outside of Charlotte. And uh, my family with two other families planted a church there. So mm. that's, that's where I remember most of my childhood is North Carolina. Uh, the most formative memories, but that's, I guess, a little bit of how it started. Yeah. Wow. A lot of places. Yeah. So did you, um, how many siblings did you yeah, have? Yeah. So I have? have a younger brother and a younger sister. Okay. So I'm the oldest. Yeah. All right. And how old are you? I'm 30 in about two weeks. Okay. So I'm 29. Well, happy birthday. But yeah. <laughs> Great. So, okay. You, you have two siblings and tell me about your family a little bit. I mean, obviously, sounds like they're a believing family. You know, yeah. With your, okay. 
what was it like growing up in this family? Yeah, I think growing up in a church plant is is pretty unique experience. Mm. Um, my dad, I would say, was really business minded. Went to school um, for business, also studied philosophy. Just really, um, really a business minded guy, and is still in the business world. Has always been um, aware of multiple hats. Mm. Even when he was in seminary, even during the church planning, was mm. still very involved in the business world. And I think for me, growing up in that, I was obviously surrounded by the church. And I like to say I grew up really in a greenhouse for raising Christian kids because I had Christian parents. I went to a Christian school Um extended family was believers. I In the Bible Belt, North Carolina, I mean, it was hard for me to even find somebody that wouldn't have called themselves a believer right. in my childhood. And so I think it, um, I was really saturated with Christianity from a young age. In, in some senses, it's all I knew. Um, church was not just a Sunday morning thing. It was a part of the week throughout the week in a church plant, obviously that's going to happen. Um, but also surrounded by it in school and extended family and all those things. And so, yeah, I was really in what I would like to call like a, a greenhouse for growing Christians. And I think for me, um, there was a lot of benefit in that. That also did create some problems and some okay. challenges, I would say, in my understanding of, of a relationship or a faith, um, well, could you yeah. could you maybe break that down? Tell us what the benefits were that were a challenge. Yeah, I think they're I think they're woven together in some senses. Um, I would say, since I was so surrounded by Christianity from a young age, um, it became very ritualistic, and the way I thought about God and the way I thought about the Bible was. Um, it wasn't very personal. It wasn't something that I necessarily desired to be a part of my life. It was something that was a part of my life. And um, mm. I didn't really understand uh, a relationship with the Lord at a young age. I actually remember thinking when I would hear testimonies as a teenager or um, maybe in my preteens, I remember hearing testimonies about how people were so excited when they came to know the Lord and I was like, what, what's so exciting about this? Like, this is just something that you have to do. Like okay. you have to be a Christian. And, um, I think I had a motivation that was rooted in like, I don't want to go to hell. And this is just a part of life. Like you kind of just have to do it. Kind of like you put your seatbelt on in the car and you follow the speed limit. It was like, this is just a part of what life is. And I think for me, um, from a young age, that is how I understood the Christian life was, uh, yeah, this is just the way it is. And you need to just get used to it and you need to just deal with the things you don't like and understand that, that that's life. Mm. How old were you when you became a believer? Um, I was very young when I said, you know, the prayer, mm -hmm. I do remember, this is kind of a funny story. I remember being at Bible school as an 18 year old and hearing it, uh, sitting in a class with a guest lecturer and he shared something that really challenged me. And I remember thinking after that moment, I don't know if I'm really a believer. I remember thinking like in the moment while he was sharing, 
about for him what it meant to really embrace uh, the Christian life, I remember thinking, I don't know if I have that. And he was talking about this relationship. And I think for me, Christianity was incredibly uh, far from that. Mm -hmm. And what I had wasn't a relationship. And so in some senses, I would say, I don't know, because um, before that moment, I can't think of in any real way that I had a relationship with okay. the Lord. I, th I find that interesting. You know, we've had a lot of people give their testimonies on the podcast and a number of them, if not the majority of them, have not been able to tell me a, a day or yeah. a time. And I know that there are some people mm -hmm. that would really, you know, be very concerned about that. Yeah. Um, and you know, I know to some extent, okay, I, I may agree with that. Yeah. As, as long, I may agree with that if I don't, if I'm, if I'm not seeing some kind of fruit in that person's mm -hmm. life. And if they're not giving a testimony to the fact that right now where I sit, my faith is in Christ. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I just, the reason I bring that up is because I know that can be paralyzing mm -hmm. to people sometimes, you know, yeah. and, and feel like they, you know, maybe I'm not saved because I can't remember a day. Yeah. And, and with that, I, I just want to encourage people. Okay. Right now, look intently into the mirror. Yeah. And have you, Right now, do do you trust Jesus with your life? Are yeah. do do you? That's what the word believe means mm -hmm. in John three sixteen to entrust yourself. Yeah, and and to you. Yeah, and then and having you know having come to that, then there's the what what you're talking about now is just like there's no no relationship. Mm -hmm. You know that's yeah. You know we can um, so often we can we can just whittle down salvation as just being you know getting my ticket punched for mm -hmm. heaven and yeah. and then that's and that's all there is to it yeah when jesus says in john seventeen three that this is eternal life to know god and know jesus and that means to recognize him you mm -hmm. know to so to be in what you're saying a relationship yeah now that's the whole idea of recognizing i, mm -hmm. I like to tell uh people that you know there was one time i was sitting in front of the television on a sunday afternoon watching football and arlene hates football <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking how neat it would be to have a bowl of popcorn right now. And in about 10 minutes from then, without saying a word, a bowl of popcorn appeared in my lap. And, you know, as Arlene put it there, she looked at me and she says, you know, enjoy the football game. And she went off to do her <laughs> thing. And I looked at her and I said, how did you know? And she's like, what do you mean, how did I know? And, and, and she just smiled and walked off. Well, we're in a relationship. Yeah. And we have learned to perceive to recognize you know to to mm -hmm. know each other yeah and so i think that's what it's describing it's a relationship yeah yes yeah i think the reason i like that story um from when i was a student when i was 18 years old is uh i remember calling my mom and i was excited mm -hmm. actually mm -hmm. i was actually really excited because i think what i thought the christian life was before was so unsatisfying mm -hmm. and I realized like in a short period of time and it was good news it was exciting I was like what I thought the Christian life was was wrong like it wasn't true it wasn't real and so I was actually excited that what I thought like the point of the Christian life was was like was dissipating mm -hmm. and for me that was the best thing that could have ever happened because I didn't I looked back and I was like, what I had before, I don't know exactly the moment. I don't know the exact day. I don't know if I was 
saved before that. I don't know if I was saved when I was a little boy and I said the prayer, um, like where my heart was at with my relationship. If it, it certainly felt real as a child, but um, looking back, the Christian life was really empty. And in that moment, I was like, there's so much life. There's so much hope. There's so much excitement. And I called my mom and I said, mom, I don't know if I was saved until today. Like, I don't know if I knew what it mm. meant to follow Jesus until this moment. And she was kind of like you were saying, she was like a little bit upset. She was like, oh, what do you mean you weren't saved? Like you mm. were saved when you were a little boy, like when you were four years old. And she was upset, but I was like, mom, this is good news because what I'm saying is like, I get it now. Like I understand now yeah. what the purpose, the point, all of that is about. And so for me, I've had other people tell me that, oh, that's so sad. Like you looked back and you didn't know. And I was like, no, it was the, one of the best days of my mm. life. Cause I actually mm. could look forward and say, I'm excited about the Christian life mm. because I see um, that what I thought the Christian life was in my past was fraudulent. Like it, it wasn't real. It wasn't how we were created to live. And mm. so it was an exciting moment. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I as you're talking, I'm just reminded of Galatians 3, 3. You know, or, you know, he's talking. We know there he is talking to believers, and because he addresses them as such. But he says, "Are you so foolish? Mm-hmm. You know, having begun by the spirit, are you yeah. now being perfected by the flesh?" Yeah. So you know that whether you were saved and had just kind of, I yeah. wouldn't even say backslid, just kind of grown numb. Yep. Are you had just become saved? The the important thing was for, for you at that moment to realize that. Now you are to live by the Spirit, yeah, and and that's all the difference in the world, yeah. You know, because it's just a few verses before that. You know, we torchbearers love the mm-hmm. one, the one that comes just a little bit before that, Galatians two twenty. That's it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Yeah, and he goes on and says, by faith. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's got nothing to do with me. Yeah. So then, would you say before you went to Bible school that you were dedicated to to Christ? Yeah, I think for me, what I, how I would describe. It often is I genuinely believed in God and I genuinely believed that the Bible was true, but I was not dedicated okay. because I, w- I would say I was actually annoyed. Okay. Um, I was in my belief, I would say bitter because I, I was like, it's really um, annoying that I have that I'm supposed to follow all these rules and do these things I don't want to do. Mm-hmm. And why would the Lord, you know, call me into these things that are unfulfilling? And so, like, the, my perspective of Scripture was so um, skewed. Mm. And I had, I would say, almost like a resentment rooted in, like, a true belief. Like, I do believe you're real. I do believe that I'm supposed to do these things. But I couldn't understand, like, the joy or I didn't understand... Um, this willing submission to the Lord. I, it was a begrudging, um, feet dragging. Mm. Like, I guess this is what I have to do. And that led me to constantly struggling and failing and falling and getting into trouble and, um, being disappointed or dissatisfied. And so, yeah, dedicated isn't the word I would use to describe, um, my relationship with the Lord. So then why would you want to go to Bible school? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I think I had, uh, a mixture of motivations. One, I was um, pretty interested in the Rocky Mountains okay. and snowboarding. Okay. 
Uh, so that was one, I, I would say, fleshly motivator. Two, I was very interested in getting out of my parents' house. Three, um, I knew that my parents were like supportive of it. Uh, my uncle had gone to Holsby in Sweden. My grandparents uh, are huge fans of Major Ian Thomas and heard him speak at a few conferences when they were newlyweds. Um, and so my mom had this very kind of fringe connection with torchbearers. She had this feeling that it could be a good idea. Um, but we knew very little. I knew very little. I saw mountains. I saw not that academic. And I saw getting out of underneath my parents' wings, supervision. And for me, like those were the biggest motivators. But growing up in an incredibly academic, biblical environment, um, a college prep school where, you know, in elementary school, I'm studying Greek and Hebrew. And uh, mm. it's, it's a very academic and my church was incredibly apologetics focused, very academic. Um, I would say like I had a confidence in my biblical knowledge. Okay. And so I was like comfortable and I thought the Bible like is an area where I have like, I have some ability, like I have some knowledge. So if I'm going to do these things I enjoy, it won't even be that hard for me, like the other stuff. And so it was, there wasn't a lot of good motivation in there. Like you'd have to really dig and look for something redeeming okay. <laughs> in those, <laughs> in that list. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then you made, is that, was that the only, only place you considered? I didn't even know about really other places. Like I knew my uncle went to Sweden, but I didn't look at, I didn't really even look into other options. Okay. Yeah. So you, were you just out of high school? I was just out of high school. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you went, I went and what was that? What was that like? Well, yeah. What was your first impression showing up? Um, the reason I ask, cause it's interesting to me that you would, yeah, you would have the attitude that you have toward God and that you would go yep. to Bible school. So yep. now you're there with all these people yeah. that may be there for different reasons. Yes. I think it was, a, a very eye-opening experience um growing up in you know the bible belt and in the private school system christian school i think i had an idea of like what christians looked like mm. and how they acted and then i show up at bible school and it's like kids from all over the u.s and canada and europe and I'm encountering um, this variety of people, like different views, different backgrounds, cultural differences, um, interests, different interests, different politics. And I'm just like, this isn't, that's not what a Christian looks like, or this isn't what a Christian sounds like. And I remember being a little bit, I don't know if skeptical is the right word, okay. but I was a little bit jaded and I was kind of like, these people aren't. A lot of them aren't good Christians, which is interesting because I was very unsatisfied with the Christian life myself, mm. but also in some senses very prideful about my views. Okay, And so I had this, I would say, pride within me where um, I kind of thought, of course, my idea of the Christian life is right. My ideas about scripture, all this uh, is obviously correct because I've spent more time you know, studying it and learning about it. And then there's, you know, these kids here that maybe their parents aren't even believers and they just came to know the Lord. 
and they have very little knowledge and they don't know what they're talking about. And mm-hmm. I remember through that process um, also being really, I don't know if upset is the right word, but the, a mixture of like curious and upset that they seemed a lot happier than me. Oh, wow. And I remember thinking like, what did they think about the Christian life? That's like so great because for me. Now these are other students that you're talking other about? Other students and I think staff as well. Okay. I started to notice like this joy Mm. and I was like, guys, like the Christian life is kind of a pain in the butt. Like that was what I thought. I was like, it's just what you have to do. Like, it's just the duty of being a Christian. And this joy was, Mm. I I couldn't understand it at first. And I, I was skeptical about it. And I was even, I would say frustrated by it at sometimes where I would be like, what are you so excited about? Like, this is just the way that it is. You clearly like haven't read your Bible enough to realize that the Christian life is a kind of a drag. Like it's tough. It's difficult. And um, so I would say for me, one of the greatest things that happened when I came to Bible school was to see just the variety of backgrounds. Um, I've told many parents now in my role when they ask me like, what's the value of, you know, my son or my daughter coming. Mm. One thing I often mention is just the cultural diversity within Torchbearers will help push your students out of their comfort zone, ask questions, dig into the word. And I started like looking around and asking questions for the first time in my life. And I've said this many times because um, some people could maybe get the wrong idea that I grew up in some sort of environment where there was no vibrant Christians. Mm. It was really, I would say, the fact that I wasn't looking to them at that time. I come to Bible school, and for the first time, perhaps because it's people my age, or perhaps just because it's not my parents. I mean, you see this. Sure. I could imagine how frustrated parents must be sometimes when their kids text them or call them and say what they're learning at Bible school. And they're like, (laughs) I tried to teach you that for 18 years. And now you sat in some one hour class and now all of a sudden you're like preaching to the choir. Like that didn't click. And I think for me, um, I did have an incredible parents and I did have an an amazing environment in a lot of ways, but I was just focused on myself. Mm -hmm. Um, Your heart, your heart wasn't where it needed to be. Yeah. My heart was hard and I was, I would say fairly selfish Mm -hmm. as a child. And I started looking around at Bible school and I started asking questions and I started wondering what do these people have like that I don't have? Something is like, there's some wires crossed. Either they have some wires crossed or maybe I have some wires crossed. Okay. And that was the start really. I can identify with what you're saying. You know, when you, when you show up and cause I, I came from a very solid Christian family yeah. myself. Yeah. And you know, I, I thought I had this figured out mm-hmm. and you know, I, I, sh- I can't I remember the first night. You know, in the dorm, just looking yeah. around at all these other guys from all <laughs> over the world and thinking, whoa, you know, this, th- there was a very challenging atmosphere. Yeah. And there was a lot of that having to to think through things. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I grew up in, in a particular domin- denomination and that's what I knew. Yeah. And, you know, I had to, had to think through, okay, well, here's a whole bunch of people who say they believe in Christ, but they have a different idea on this or a different idea on that. Now, why? Yeah. And it was really profitable for me. It is. I, yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up. So what what happened? Mm-hmm. And what particularly yeah. happened to make this, this click? Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, 
like I said, it started with that looking around and then that willingness to ask questions. And I think to also uh, be exposed within me, this reality that looking back, I can kind of say, this is where I was at. In the moment, I think I was in some senses deceived myself. Um, mm. It says in Second Timothy uh, that in the end times, I think it's in chapter three, Paul says, like the deceivers will go on deceiving and being deceived. Mm. And then he, he compares it to um, Pharaoh's magicians, uh, which, which is interesting, something that I talk about in class. But uh, I think I was like, also myself deceived in the sense that I had thought that I had an understanding. If you asked me at that time, like Sam, do you have an authentic faith? I would have said, of course, like I, I believed myself to have arrived in some senses. I thought I did have an understanding of the Christian life. And so that kind of needed to crack that needed to start to break down. Um, and then that, I think the pride and that arrogance needed to, um, start to be questioned. And so I had to first dismantle that pride. And, and I see this regularly every year. Some people maybe refer to it as like when students have masks up, when they come, they're kind of hiding their real self. I would say I had a mask up, but I didn't even know I had a mask up. I was unaware of how much, um, hiding I was doing or how much masquerading was going on in my life. And so I think first I had to start um, asking some difficult questions. What, where is all this joy? Why does this person so excited? I remember thinking that my whole childhood, uh, this was, this was a, a real helpful question for me and maybe for anybody that's listening. I remember thinking during my childhood, I had been being trained in evangelism and apologetics, and I'd never once shared my faith with somebody. Mm. And I remember hearing one of my classmates tell a story of sharing her faith with somebody on a chairlift and thinking to myself, why would you do that? Like, what's the point? I had thought of the tools of apologetics as really um, weapons of defense. Um, And I would also say weapons of like asserting dominance. Mm. I believed that the purpose for apologetics was to make, you know, other people with different views feel small, feel wrong. And for me, those types of tools, if you think of them that way, um, are defensive tools. And so I think for me, even if I thought about the gospel, it was, it was almost like a tool for destruction, not for life, mm. which is such a perverted mm. view of the gospel. And yeah. so I could wield it to perhaps make someone, a Muslim or an atheist, feel ashamed of their views okay. so that I could show them that I'm right and they're wrong. But I wasn't interested in their life being transformed. Mm. And I think for me, that's because my life hadn't been transformed. Mm. So what what was there really for me to offer to them? And I remember this girl sharing uh, this story about sharing your faith and getting totally rejected. And she was so joyful. She was so happy. She actually was just beaming, smiling, telling this story about how she shared her faith. She, she said she felt like the Lord was just leading her and prompting her to share with this guy. And I was like on the edge of my seat. I was like, this guy's going to convert or he's going to receive the gospel. And she's like, and then he just totally rejected me and he wanted nothing to do with, with me. And she's just beaming. And in that moment, 
I was like, whatever that is that she has, I don't have that mm. because I've been more trained than the majority of my classmates. And I've never once, I, I, I remember sitting with classmates and they'd be like, man, it's so nerve wracking to share your faith. Or I get so nervous or I'm, I'm scared. Like, I feel like I should all these emotions, which students commonly feel, um, maybe they're for us, we live by a ski resort on the chairlift or on the bus or in town or at a coffee shop or on an airplane. And I remember thinking, I'm not nervous to share my faith because I have no interest to share my faith at all. You're not nervous to do something that you know you're not going to do. I don't, I was like, I didn't sit on the plane on the way here and think, should I share the gospel with this person? Um, it didn't even cross my mind. And I think for us, um, any of us, we know that if something means very little to you, you're probably not um, looking for opportunities to talk about it mm. with random strangers. And for me, the gospel meant very little to me. And I think as I realized that, um, and as I sat in classes, and as I was steeped in the word um, with maybe for the first time um, open ears, mm and a willingness to be wrong and a willingness to listen with the, with hope um, instead of just academic knowledge, you know, expanding my knowledge so that I could, you know, win arguments or be right. Really listening. Uh, I think the word started to penetrate my heart mm. and soften my heart. And then I think uh, something that's beautiful about torchbearers is um, a major emphasis across the globe in torchbearers is this emphasis of, of Christ in you. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, um, what I needed to do, what I needed to meet was Jesus. And if you spend time with people that Christ dwells within, you spend time with him. Yeah. And as I spent time with him, I started to fall in love with him mm. and I started to crave uh, to know more about him. And I started to desire a relationship with him. And then I think all the things that I knew, all the knowledge I had, um, started to become useful and mm. valuable from mm. my childhood. So the tools I received from a child that were meaningless, um, collecting dust on the shelf, as I started to fall in love with Christ, started to become tools I desired to use in my everyday life. Um, and so I think one way I've often put it when I share my story is that I, as a child, I was like a computer every, just for this illustration, let's just say every person is like a microchip and the purpose of, um, parents is to improve this microchip into some useful tool, a computer. And so my childhood, I was constantly being upgraded and, and I had, uh, I received a lot of blessings. So I had maybe the best keyboard, the best screen, the best hard drive, the <laughs> best storage. I was like an expensive and valuable and useful tool. Um, and if you looked at me, you'd be like, I like Apple. I'm an Apple person. You'd be like, wow, look at that. That's like a MacBook Pro. That's, that's cutting edge. That's the nicest tool that you could have because I received so many blessings. Um, but if you opened up the computer to use it, the screen would be black. Mm. And if you tried to turn it on, you'd realize that the laptop was dead and a dead laptop is useless. Mm. And so I remember being at Bible school and 
hanging out with, you know, maybe some calculators, like some people that were brand new in their faith. They didn't have a lot of tools. They didn't have a lot of bells and whistles. They didn't, they didn't study Greek when they were, you know, in fourth grade and they didn't, you know, go to apologetics classes in high school and they didn't have all this training and all this stuff. But a calculator with power is more valuable than a laptop that's dead. Mm. And I remember um, just realizing wow, like that person barely knows any scripture. That person uh, has a very limited understanding of like theology, but they're vibrant. Mm. I'm drawn to them. They're teaching me stuff. But but I'm like, why? How could they be teaching me stuff? And I, so I think the cool thing is um, that really exposed in me my, like the death within me, that I okay. had no power, that that there was no juice. Um, the cool thing though, and I think the grace of God is that when you're plugged into the power source, those tools that were useless became useful. Mm. And so my upbringing, uh, the training I received, the times talking about theology with my dad, um, the things I received that I had put on a shelf all of a sudden were things that, um, were, incorporated into my life as I started to fall in love with Christ. And I said, Lord, like, I want you to use these things for your glory, for your good. And I would say many things now um, that are a regular part of my job and a regular part of my life were like tools that when I was 18 years old were useless to me. And so it's cool to see how in the Lord's kindness, even though I was stubborn and my heart was hard, uh, he was still willing to say like these things that were invested in you before I can still use now, like for my glory and for my good. And so as you're plugged into the power source and those tools become available for the Lord to use, um, it makes all the difference. Mm, yeah. I, that's really well said. I, I can remember coming as a student and sitting in those classes and actually, before that, I remember sitting as a, a as a boy at church, Major Thomas preaching in our church, and I remember sitting there thinking, "This is really good," but I don't know why. I mean, he's talking about the same God, same Jesus, reading from the same Bible. Yeah, came to his hill as a camper, said the same thing, sitting mm-hmm. in chapel, you know, listening to the speaker and saying, "Why is this so good?" Mm-hmm. Coming to Bible school, same thing, and you know, you really uh, looking back on it, I think what I was just so taken back by is though I had. I, I had so many of the facts. I I did not realize, you know, and, and you kind of feel like once you've got the fact, that's it. Yeah. But you don't realize how deep the facts go. Mm-hmm. And and then you realize the facts are actually living. Yeah. <laughs> this is a person. Yeah. And, you know, the Lord had to, I, I tell people, I think the Lord had to do some deprogramming in mm-hmm. me before he had me to a point where he could start to, then show me yeah. what he had for me. Yeah, well, that's that's really neat. That's I, I love the the analogy there of the you know the MacBook and the calculator. That's <laughs> I think Major Thomas would be proud of. Yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little torchbearsy. It's the new school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It's the new school. Yeah, but uh, no, I appreciate that. So okay, now when you went to Bible school, yeah, I'm sure you had no intention of being around for eight years. Did you stay on as an intern after that, or did you go straight on to staff, or did yeah. you leave and come back? What, what was the deal? Yeah, that's a great question. So I graduated um, 
from Bible school in 2013. Okay. And um, when I left Timberline, I knew by the time I left that I wanted to be in full-time ministry. Okay. So that was a change. Obviously, you just heard my story. That yeah. was that was not on my radar. That's a big um, deal. Before Bible school, I, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. I thought maybe I'd be a paramedic or something, but ministry was not even close to being on my radar. Um, I left Bible school, and I uh, started a church internship in North Carolina in the church that I grew up in. Okay. And for me, that was um, a very formative time in my life. I had a lot to say. Um I was ex- so excited to go back and share um, about what happened in my life. Mm. I was like, I grew up in this church since I was, you know, younger than 10 years old, 10 years. Um, and I did, this didn't click for me. Like, I didn't get it. And so I was so excited to go back and just share with the youth group and um, just serve and be involved in ministry. And so I got an internship at my church. I was 19 years old. I was dating my now wife, who we met at Bible school, okay. classic torchbearers. Yep. She's Canadian, I'm American. There's a lot of stereotypes in there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we were dating. I was in my church internship. Two weeks after my internship started, um, and my church is fairly large. It's it's around a thousand people. So. I mean, for North Carolina, that's like pretty normal, okay. actually. But um, I go back to my church and the youth pastor left after two weeks into my internship to be a head pastor of a different church. And so I was 19 years old. Uh, there's over 100 kids in the middle school and high school youth program. And the family pastor and the, and the head pastor and the, the executive pastor, there's, there's a lot of pastors at my church. So your dad's not part of the... My dad was an elder. Okay, he's an elder now. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, they said, like, Sam, can you kind of just help us transition to the new youth pastor in the meantime and kind of just help pick up some of the slack? Because now there's a lot of slack. And my internship was supposed to be interdepartmental, so like sometime with the teaching pastor, sometime with the family pastor, sometimes with the executive pastor throughout the week, um, a few hours here and there, sometime in the youth program. But it ended up being fully youth because that's where the greatest need was. And it was a six-month internship, and they did not hire a youth pastor while I was there. And oh, I was wow. 19 years old. Oh, wow. Um, and so it was kind of a baptism by fire. It's not that they they weren't looking or Mm. they didn't care. But I think what they realized and what I realized was that I loved it. And I was preaching as a 19 year old. This was the first time in my life that I was teaching. Mm. Um, And I was preaching every Wednesday and twice on Sunday. And I was so raw and I was so excited but I was so um, inexperienced and untrained. And the family pastor, he really took me under his wing and he just mentored me. And he was actually the first person that told me, I think that you have the gift of teaching. Mm. And I was, he told me that in the same conversation, I think where he had mentioned like a lot of things I didn't do well (laughs) in a a message. 
And so he was really training me up. Okay. And I was teaching. I was hanging out with the kids. I was loving it. And I think for me, um, many of my passions were confirmed in that time. And at the end of my internship, they offered me a position at the church. And they said, we'd love to send you through school. Um, We talked through kind of like a 10-year plan. And they were like, you know, Bible college, seminary, a few years at life. That's the name of my church. Um, And I was 19 and I was dating Laura at this time. I think we might have just gotten engaged. um, And I said no. I wasn't sure if I was ready to commit to a 10-year plan. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wasn't sure if that's where I was supposed to be. So I said no. um, And I still think about that sometimes, uh, how my life could look differently if I would have said yes. But I left, and then I ended up moving to Vermont. And um, I started doing full-time action sports ministry in Vermont with a, with a organization called snowboarders and skiers for Christ. And so I ended up going into full-time ministry. Um, and I was excited. I wanted to do more evangelism. Okay. So one of the biggest challenges I had, uh, with the youth group was, okay, sometimes I feel like I'm talking to a wall, which is an ironic challenge because I was that wall as a kid. Like you tell these kids, you know, guys, like, you need to, you need to do this. You need to do that. Stop doing this. Stop doing that. And then they're just like zombies and they just say yes or no, or it didn't, it didn't seem like there was a lot of change happening. And I think as a 19 year old, I wasn't very patient as Mm -hmm. a 19 year old. I didn't, I didn't always see the long-term value. And I was like, I want to see like life change. I want to see real transformation. And I was passionate and I was just fired up about the gospel. And my life was just rapidly changing. And so I ended up getting connected with this ministry. I was really passionate about the outdoors and it was like the exact opposite of my church internship. Um, And it was like all evangelism and it was very far from the Bible Belt. I mean, Mm. Vermont is 5% evangelical Christian. Mm. And so I went from like, you can't even find an unbeliever to now like you can't even find a believer. And so for me, those two things, those two contrasting things, I would say were really starting to form in me, um, like the different giftings I had from the Lord and started to mold me into the person that was going to say, where is there like a combination of these things? Like, where is there a combination of discipleship and teaching and evangelism and outdoor adventure. And the obvious thought in my head was Timberline. I was like, man, Mm. there's this collision Mm. of these things at Timberline. Sure. And so I think for me, um, that was a time where the thought entered my mind. And the summer after Vermont, I went back to Timberline. Um, So 12 months after I graduated, I came back as a summer staff. Okay. And I did a summer there. I was too young to do a uh, program staff is like when you hang out with the kids, you had to be 21 at that time. So I was on maintenance, which is a running joke at Timberline that I would ever be on the maintenance <laughs> team. 
but I was on the maintenance team um, and I was 20 years old. And while I was there, I remember asking um, a staff member, how do you get on staff here? Like, I just want to, I think I want to work here. And I was engaged to Laura and he just said, you just got to get your foot in the door somehow. It's like, that's really the only way because it's almost always hiring internally. And I remembered that and I left, um, I left the summer and at this time I was, Laura and I were close to getting married and I was like, I, I think I'm going to have to move to Canada. So I moved to Canada, um, and my wife is from Winnipeg and I started going to college. I went to Providence University, which is outside of Winnipeg, small Bible college, uh, and was studying theology and biblical studies. Laura and I got married. We lived there for a year in Canada and, um, I got a phone call from Joseph Weissman, who was the principal before me. And he said, um, do you and Laura want to come volunteer for one year? Um, and this phone call happened, I think in 2015. So it would have been the school year of 2016. And this was like six months before the school year. I was in college. I was looking for jobs like at churches, um, in Winnipeg. My wife is a hairdresser, was a hairdresser. Um, and was doing weddings. She was doing really well. She had finished schooling for that. And we had our first apartment. And I told Laura and she was like, this is crazy. Like we're, look at our life. Like you're in school. We just got married. I'm working. We have an apartment. Our whole, her whole family's there. Like her cousins, her parents. And I remember like seeing in her face that this would just be really hard. Mm. And I was like, well, we're, we, we're not going to go like, unless we go together, like, unless we're deciding together right. to go. And I kind of, um, I think in my heart was like, we probably won't go. I think this might be too much. Mm. And we were out to breakfast maybe a few days after that conversation. And she just said, you know what? I've been praying about it and I think we should go. Wow. And I was like, if we go, you know that like it might be more than just a year and like in my heart i was she knew like i wanted that potentially mm -hmm. and she was like i know and we packed our stuff we didn't have very much stuff at that time we packed our stuff and we drove to timberline and that was eight years ago okay i tried to not take too much time to tell that story but no that's fine i'm glad <laughs> yeah. you did so okay eight years ago and what did you come specifically to do? I was the men's RA okay. as a volunteer. Okay. Yeah. And, and for how long was that before you became principal? So I was the men's RA the, my first year on staff. Um, while I was there, there was a few needs that came up, um, practical needs. Um, we had this big fundraiser campaign because our sewage plant had to be, this was in, I think, 2016. Our sewage plant was um like out of code and we had to build a new sewage plant or else like we were going to get shut down mm -hmm. and it was a huge deal for timberline and nobody really had a lot of tech knowledge um and i was like i can help with this like i can help make a website i can help um make videos i can do graphic design some things i had done kind of freelance to make some money um in my early 20s um, 
or like my late teenage years. And I was like, I can help with these things. So even though I was a men's RA, I started to become like super attached to this campaign with Dan, who was the director. And um, I think through that became uh, fairly valuable to Dan. And I think he saw um, that there was like this need to have somebody around that could fit some of these unique needs. And so basically they were like, Sam, we don't really have a job for you. Uh, This was when it was coming to the end of my volunteer year. They were like, we don't exactly have a job that we think is like a perfect fit for you, but we want to keep you around. And so what if we do like a hybrid? So the registrar had just gotten married and left at the end of the school year. They were like, what if you stay in the Bible school with Joseph? So as the RA, I was in the Bible school and you help with registrar. Well, in the meantime, since we're looking for, we need a new registrar and also do kind of like a communications job. So marketing, videography, photography. Uh So it's kind of a hybrid. And they basically were like, we don't think that you would actually be that good of a registrar, which they, which was true. (laughs) Um, But we, we want you to hear, we want you here. So can we just try this out? And so I did that for two years, I think. And then um, they were like, we want you to stay full time. We want you to stay and do communications and we'll hire a registrar because we know that that's not in your gifting. But it was like this double-edged sword because the registrar part of my job was the part that kept me in the Bible school. Mm. And so I knew that they should hire a registrar, but I was also like, even though this part of my job I'm maybe the least gifted at, it like attaches me to the thing that I'm the most passionate about, which is the students and which is discipleship. Mm-hmm. And so um, I had been working with Joseph every day since I'd come to Timberline and he was, he was the principal before me. Um, and I told Dan, they, they said, we want to give you like a five-year contract for communications manager, um, a new role and we'll hire a registrar. And I said, I need to think about it. Um, and I told him that I think I should consider doing something else somewhere else in Torchbearers mm. in Bible school. I said, I think my giftings are in Bible school. Like I can do this communication stuff. I can do the graphic design. I can do the website stuff, photography, videography. Um, I was doing a lot, but it wasn't, I didn't feel like in my gifting. And I told Dan, I told Dan that. And I said, Dan, like Ravencrest is looking to hire somebody in Bible school. And at that time, Frank Cerrone was still the director and the principal. And he was looking to replace himself as the principal. He was looking for a principal. And I said, I think I should inquire with Ravencrest and see if I can come in under the new principal that they hire or under Frank as an assistant principal because I want to get trained in that area in Bible school. And I applied. And I um, called Frank and I talked to him and I said, listen, Frank, I don't want to be the principal. I'm 23. Um, I'm underqualified. 
he had a few guys that were super qualified that he was interviewing, but I would be interested in coming on the Bible school team if you, if you're interested in that. And he was like, you definitely can apply. Um, so I applied and so I had these two kind of this moment in my life. We had just had our first child. Um, I was kind of wrestling with, do we stay at Timberline? Do we think about a different Bible school? And I remember feeling in that process really strongly from the Lord, which has only happened to me a few times in my life. Like, Sam, you need to stay at Timberline. And I told Dan, I said, Dan, um, I, took, I called Frank and I pulled my name out and I'm going to take the communications job and I'm going to stay. Mm. And I know that it's not exactly my gifting, but I feel like this is where I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And two weeks after that, I got offered the principal job wow. at Timberline. Wow. Um, and so I had, I didn't know this, but while this was all going on, Dan had been praying about and thinking about asking Joseph to take a new role at Timberline, which he did, obviously. He's the operations director. Uh, he's now the assistant director um, and stepped into what I would say is like running the day-to-day of Timberline facilities, hospitality, kitchen, um, you know, everything that makes Timberline go. And that was the area where I would say Timberline had the greatest need. Mm-hmm. And we were struggling in that area for years. And Joseph is incredibly gifted Mm. at organizing and managing people and that area contains the most staff and so dan asked joseph to step into that and then they offered me the principal role Mm. and i told them that you guys are crazy i'm 23 i dropped out of college to come volunteer here um i'm underqualified but yes of course i'll do it like Mm. it was it was something that i never even dreamed of or thought would happen because Joseph um, is only a few years older than me. And I didn't want anyone else to be the principal, but Joseph, Mm. Joseph was my principal Mm -hmm. and I worked, he was my boss. Mm -hmm. So for those three years that I was on staff, um, he, I worked with him every day. And so I never even considered, Oh, will I ever be the principal here? I was like, of course I'll never be the principal here. Joseph is the principal here. And so it was something I couldn't imagine um, but obviously in the Lord's plan. And I was 23 at that time. The next year was a transition year. So I was, um, technically the assistant principal the following year. Joseph was like half principal, half in his new role. He trained me and hand the role off to me. And then my first year as principal was COVID was 2020. Wow. So that was in my second time in my life where I got baptized by fire. Um, <laughs> But yeah, now I'm in my fourth year uh, as the principal and excited to, you know, be, I think the benefit, even though I think they're crazy that they offered it to me as a 23-year-old, there's real value in the fact that I'm turning 30 this year and I'll have five years of experience um, in this role and I'm just excited to keep growing. Mm -hmm. And so some people go to West Point to become an officer and some people enlist when they're 18 and work their way up. And I'm definitely uh, enlisted when you think of ministry. I didn't, you know, I don't have the fancy degree or anything like that. But since I was young, I was really trained up by torchbearers, by Timberline. And I'm grateful just for the Lord's kindness that Amen. he has me where I am now. Oh, that's great. And I think it's interesting as you're telling the story, I'm thinking, 
you know, you, you don't want to do something because you don't think it's your gifting. Yeah. And, but as soon as the Lord is able to work in your heart, yeah, that I don't need your gifting, mm-hmm. you know, that it's, it's what I give you, mm-hmm. but I don't need it. Yeah. You know, and, and you're willing to do what, you know, just what you sense he's telling you to do. And you find out he's got something else yeah. for you. And I think that's, that's a, that's a great encouragement yeah. to, to give, you know, to the people that are listening that, you know, so often our gifting can become, uh, it actually can take the place of Christ in our life. It can. And, you know, it's, it's given to us of the Lord. It's a good thing. But like in the book of Hebrews, we can take good things that God gives us and put them in the place of Jesus and make Absolutely. them bad. And so I think that's, that's just a great story. It, you know, just how, you know, the Lord works in your heart and you respond to that. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Thanks for being here. I appreciate yeah. this. It's, it's it's just been great to hear more of it and, yeah. and to, to know you better. So uh, thanks for taking time out. Yeah, I know you're you're really busy being a guest lecturer <laughs> and people want to talk with you and you take time out to do this. So I appreciate that. And uh, just so you know, our listeners can know that in the next couple of weeks, you can be looking for Sam again, as he will be giving us a devotion, which we're going to take a break right now. Let him catch his breath, and then and then we'll <laughs> record that. So, Sam, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks a lot, Kelly. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the His Hill Podcast, featuring our host, Kelly Doherty, along with Sam Hatfield, the principal at one of our sister schools, Timberline Lodge in Fraser, Colorado. Our students head out on spring break in just a couple weeks. We are leading three trips this year to San Antonio, Albania, and Greece. Please keep our students in your prayers that they would have safe travels, a restful time away, and that they would return to us encouraged and ready to finish out the school year. Once again, you've been listening to the His Hill Podcast featuring our host, Kelly Doherty and Sam Hatfield. Thanks for joining us today. Remember to keep your eyes fixed on Christ and be encouraged. He is for you. I'm Lizzie, and we'll see you next week.